everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing, and very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show, such as in the case of this month's guest, Jace Britton. They were recommended to me by Paul Cunningham. So if you like this episode, go back and listen to that one, and if you liked that one, make sure you stick around for this one. Jace Britton wrote the novel Sorcerer from Schism Neuronics in 2022 in Los Angeles, Vienna, and Salt Lake City. Their writing, poetry, and translations have been featured in Dream Pop Journal, Apartment Poetry, Snail Trail Press, Destroyer, Sleeping Fish, and elsewhere. They received their MFA at the University of Notre Dame. As a PhD candidate at the University of Utah, they study fiction, illegibility, and intersections between digital, animal, and ecological writing. In collaboration with the poet and book artist Rachel Zevitz, they run the small press Carrion Bloom Books. Before I get into my conversation with Jace, let me remind you that you can help out the show in a couple easy ways. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe for a measly $2 a month. You can get early episodes. You can also throw me a one-time donation at paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe, or you can buy my book. It's called Tired. It's on Amazon. Without spending any money, you can also rate the show appropriately wherever you listen to it. You can also go on social media and tell people that the episode was good and encourage them to listen. That helps me out an awful lot as well, too. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Jace. Let's start out with talking about Sorcerer, and I have a hell of a time saying it over and over again, but um, that's your book through Schism Neuronics, and it's really interesting. It's, it's um, I, I didn't really know what to expect from it, aside from having read um, a couple other books through Schism Neuronics. Um, Mm-hmm. Paul Cunningham had a book out recently, um, and Correo had like the first one I've read, M4 Writers Interrogating the Eye, which was really good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So aside from just kind of having a general idea of like what was going on, um, I I didn't know what to expect, and as I tend to do with, with books I've already acquired, I skipped over the blurbs, but maybe I would have had um more context so let's talk about the book talk about like where you got the idea from it and and um and we'll go from there yeah uh yeah thank you for having me and um yeah it's uh, hard to say where the idea came from because it's um was sort of an omnivorous book um more ended up going into it than i initially um you know whatever whatever the initial germ was um it came to take on a lot more. So I can, you know, I can almost talk about different <laughs> sort of genesis points. Mm. Um, a, a, a big one, one that sort of shaped the physical space in, in the book, um, the sort of hospital space, was a sanatorium in Vienna uh, called Narrenturm, uh, which is a, means fool's tower uh, in, in English. And um, it's now a museum, uh, a sort of cheap, um, like loosely curated space. Um, rooms that were in the formerly of the hospital are sort of educationally <laughs> tilted, um, but educationally as in um, formaldehyde jars of uh 
conjoined fetuses, severed and infected uh, genitalia. This is where we're starting, I guess. Um, <laughs> and um, it was all really overwhelming. The smell of the formaldehyde was always present. Um, but what was strange is there was like things that you might expect of this hospital that's been around since the 15th century um, as it went through phases and different head doctors who had different kind of hobby horse medical experiments they wanted to run. Um, so, you know, you'd go through this room that was just sort of like pure sensory overload, smell, sight. Um, maybe you're starting to feel a bit sick. And then the next room is all about someone, one of the doctors who's obsessed with alchemy. And so there's mm -hmm. like uh, Egyptian god statues and, and stuff like that and, and recipes for lead to gold and stuff like that. So that building, which also is nicknamed the cake uh, because it has a sort of like circular shape, um, that building became this kind of an idea into which almost anything could also go. And, and so that's when the hospital sort of, um, the hospital in the book sort of gained this ability itself to uh, have its own transformations and, and metamorphoses and, and to sort of move around. And so, so that was a big spark where I think that's where it kind of became a book. I had some ideas about this protagonist who more or less was could was collapsed and couldn't move and maybe believes or maybe is he's turning into a snail but it, they were you know very just sort of centered in that spot and in that moment and i think that this building sort of became made the book into something that could contain a lot of other things as well okay that's interesting <laughs> um i like that idea of um and of yeah i like the idea of of sort of lots of different uh things going in at once and that and that does sort of explain the construction a little bit there's recurring characters and each um as you were talking i was skimming the blurbs creo calls some prose poems would you agree <laughs> Um, the yes and no, I mean, um, you know, obviously, um, on the, on the cover and I, I can't remember if it says, says it anywhere else in the book, but on the cover, I, I asked, uh, Gary from schism, if I could call it a novel. Um, mm -hmm. so sometimes it was that, I mean, I, it could be a novel of prose poems. I, I didn't think about genre a whole lot while doing it to sure. tell you the truth um uh rhythm and sound really guided a lot of the language and, and even guided the sort of plot and the uh I, I prioritized rhythm over sense mostly so um a lot of things get sort of dictated by sound so i only thought about genre kind of at that late stage um when i was editing the book for schism and the reason I called it a novel myself is because I actually felt like for all of the places that you could get lost in the language for, for any of the sort of challenges that I left for readers or codes that I left unencoded, I, I felt like I was doing also some very like kind of traditional 
novel moves myself. And I don't know how how strange that sounds given the object that is the book, but there were there were times where I thought, well, you know, like I structured this in this way and and I was I I know the novel arc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um whether whether sometimes when I return to this book, now it's been out for over a year, sometimes I return to it and I'm like, well maybe not. Um maybe Mike was right. Um but I'm not sure about the genre. I mean, I know sometimes the individual, the discrete pages, it, that it was more about, okay, this is a room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, really when we're talking about anything here, it's me looking back. I'm not, I'm not saying like, oh, I plotted out this novel in prose poems. Um, it, it didn't come out that way. <laughs> um, and so it's it's more like now I'm looking back and sort of saying why did I do that? <laughs> and right. trying to kind of apply language to it. Um, so I, I'm, I'm truthfully not sure about the genre, but I mean, I certainly found more success submitting the pieces as prose poems mm. than when I was calling them fiction. I think none were published <laughs> as fiction. Um, but you know, then a few got picked up from apartment poetry, which was great. Um, a couple in dream pop as sort of ungenred uh, whatevers. And so I'm also just comfortable with whatever, uh, you know, I'm grateful for a reader and uh, whatever a reader calls it, I'm genuinely interested in um, how it takes that shape on their end. Right. Yeah. No, I, I took uh you know it said a novel on, on the cover and so i said okay um, i i will believe you i'm a very malleable <laughs> reader like um yeah. I, if uh if the book tells me it's a thing I, I i tend to believe it i i briefly had this this idea that like sometimes i add on to the google doc i have about it of like um uh mystical analysis of literature so like a very sort of like as the reader becoming one with the text and kind of understanding the text like as as its own thing um kind of beyond separation from the author but like with a separation from the author but a paradoxical like as much context on the author as possible and the time in which it was written and everything but also just the text itself is very sort of apathetic you can only tell me what the book is not uh sort of thing um yeah yeah that because i'm i'm i flipped over to look at mike's mike Creo's blurb and i i i saw what jumped out to me was an occulted maze of death and that's something mm. that you know i'm completely flattered by that and you know maybe if i could go back i would call it instead of a novel i'd call it an occulted maze of death yeah um yeah i, I liked the the little um touches of kind of esoterica like hints in in the section titles um many of them have philosophia in parentheses after the title um and there's lots of sort of latinate references to to alchemy and and so on um which i suppose comes from um the fool's tower as well mm-hmm. um I am I am interested there there was um my German is very bad but it's better than any other second language I have 
Um, and I noticed like a handful of German words tossed around in there. So I'm, I'm uh, curious about your relationship with that language. I, I see on um, uh, various places online that you do translations. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I studied abroad in Berlin, um, and, and then I spent a year in Vienna uh, a few years after that. Um, and I haven't published a ton of translations, but uh, I've, I've published a few. And there's a there's a book I've been working on for a while by a um, Austrian poet named Franziska Fuchsel. Hmm. Um, and you know th that uh, Franziska takes pride. I think um, she's a contemporary poet, and, and I think she takes a bit of pride in she might say corrupting both my German and my English. Hmm. Um, <laughs> And uh, her, her book is a, uh, li actually literally a book of puzzles. It's called Puzzles Writ Large, which is a title she borrows from a collection of crossword puzzles. Hmm. Um, and, and I suppose like our connection sort of starts from a place of like both um, liking writing that sort of puzzles and, and challenges. Um, so yeah, I, I, I translate German. Um, and, and lived in German-speaking countries for a bit. And, you know, this book, uh, you know, some some of the German that survives comes from, like, little translation exercises I was doing for myself or um, writing in German one day when the English isn't working or something like that. Um, you know, the that kind of stuff making it in. And another kind of aspect of this, like, omnivorousness I was describing, I guess, is that... Um, this wasn't a main project for me. It, it really wasn't my sort of central project at any time. It was always a side project. Like, and so a lot of kind of just pleasures made it in. So if I was just like messing around with the German text or, you know, doing like working on a, a translation of Francisca's or something else, um, often it sort of made it in. Um, uh, and, and so that's, partly where it comes from in this book. And then there was also the, uh, you know, the character of Oswalda uh, is implied to have come from uh, Germany or Austria. I, I don't know if it says actually in the book anymore, uh, but at one point she was German. There's a DVD extra. <laughs> Let's see. Neither, neither German nor Austrian appear in the, in the book as far as uh, control search will tell me. Um, okay, cool. I like that. I, I try to, every now and again in my own writing, like insert either a German title of a poem um, or, or try to kind of think about those um, heavily compounded words or the more I understand the grammar, the more like I feel like my sentence structure changes. Um, yeah. There's there's that bit, and I mean it's kind of the whole conceit of arrival. But there's that bit where they're like, learning new languages forces you to see the world differently, uh, just like in the way that objects are like then sorted in your mind. Um, yeah, and obviously I'm like interested in that kind of play on syntax and, and syntax that uh, arrives strangely or doesn't arrive. Um, and, you know, German is uh, 
a very interesting um has a very interesting syntax different from english and i, I also i mean i took um sign language in high school oh interesting and that I, I i think was like my first that was the first sort of other language i was learning in any kind of serious way and and i it's you know there, there's a bit in sign language where especially with like active sentences you'll place um the setting and like objects within the sentence first and then kind of get to the action hmm. you sort of can set the stage in some sign language syntaxes and um I, I, rem I don't know that I remember thinking about it as that, but I remember that like we would kind of have fun trying to like write the English sentence as if it were the sign language sentence, which isn't a great way to learn the language to say, oh, let's one for one swap the words um, or sense of language in an interesting way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then briefly... You mentioned puzzles, uh, something that I'm, I think I'm going through like a shift in, in how I want to read, uh, these days where, um, I've mentioned it before, uh, Blake Butler said in an interview a long time ago that someone told him in his MFA program, um, that it's like really beneficial to not take things super symbolically in, in literature to just read other, there's a moment in there is no year where he's, the father walks through a door and 18 months pass in the time that he's walking through the door. And he states in this interview that it's like not a metaphor, right? It's just mm -hmm. in the time it took to cross the threshold, somehow 18 months passed. Um, and so I've spent years, um, doing that for like every book that I read. Um, and it's clear to me that that's not always the case. Um, I think that's why whenever I see a house of leaves explained YouTube video, I get a little angry, um, irrationally. <laughs> um, and I'm also really interested in like alternate reality games and the sort of things you can do to hide narrative, um, I was really inspired by various uh, video essays about the pathologic games. Um, and so I'm going through this sort of adjustment where I'm trying to, as I'm reading a book, decide like which end of this spectrum I've created I'm going to take. Am I going to just sort of let everything wash over me and not worry about codes or or, or uh, riddles or hints or whatever. Uh, am I just going to read the text and kind of enjoy the language and enjoy the dreaminess that can come from that? Or am I going to lean more on the other spectrum where I'm trying to like uh, looking up words I don't understand beyond just like vocab expansion and I'm like taking notes and putting tabs in books and stuff. And um, I'm kind of interested like where you tend to fall on that spectrum or if you're you're more movable both as a reader and as a writer uh yeah i'm i this is a question i'm uh really energized by uh i have a, a very strong resistance um even a revulsion maybe for the phrase just a metaphor hmm. 
um, I, I would like to say nothing is just a metaphor. Um, and, and so I, I love this idea this, that to just read that sentence literally, a seemingly simple sentence of you walk through the door and however many years passed. Um, and to read that literally, I mean, obviously that's such a, you know, that's such a deep well to sort of think about that and to just say that's, that's, that's literal. Um, I think that there's also, you know, a pleasure in analyzing, in developing a theory in, um, in this book, for example, like if some turn of language or some episode that was stood out from the other episodes for you caught your attention and you Googled some word or, or phrase and it led you down an interesting path. And then you develop sort of your own narrative of something that isn't on the page. Obviously there's, you know, a, a reason we do that is it's, it's pleasurable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll, you'll really hit on something quite true, or sometimes you'll hit on something where maybe I would say, um, that was completely unintentional, but now I'm really interested in that too. So I, I guess that makes me sort of flexible. But the the thing I'm really resistant to is to say, to say anything is just a metaphor or, oh, obviously the, the hospital space is meant to be an allegory here for chronic injury or for uh, political upheaval or, or, you know, whatever. Um, it's also a real place um mm -hmm. you know not you know, within the fiction it's 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 a real place i i see i can envision the space i can envision the characters moving through it and that's that's as real as real to me um and that's why when i say oh you know he's either he either thinks he's turning into a snail or he is turning a sna into a snail um if you if you really sort of hold me to the coals on that one i say that he does turn in to a snail. And he also thinks he's turning into a snail. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I like irony. I like um, sort of contrasting or conflicting truths. Um, and I, I think that those things are not so distant from what we call reality. Um, so yeah, ultimately I'd say that the thing that I'm most resistant to is, just, is saying something is just a metaphor Sure. Um, and I'm, of course, deeply fascinated with this idea of taking the opposite position mm -hmm. <laughs> and saying, no, 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 no. Not only is it not just a metaphor, it's actually just literal. Mm -hmm. um, because that then does something really interesting to your perspective, too, right? If, if, if of all of the strange things that are possible, um, you know, if, if you get taken one step stranger by a piece of what we call fiction uh that sounds great <laughs> yeah i my 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 path that took me toward whatever weird corner of literature we occupy and various corners occupied by members of of the of this podcast is um i was just like googling surrealist books or surreal books, or probably even Lynchian books, because it was college, um, and um, like that's how that's how Blake Butler popped up, and um, so like I I had this aversion. I remember I was really into Dolly in like 
middle school and high school. Just like the first painter that ever painted anything interesting to me at that point was, was Salvador Dali. And my brother studied abroad in France, but they took a trip to the Czech Republic and went to a Salvador Dali museum over there. Or maybe it was just a surrealist museum, I'm not sure. And he was talking about like all the interpretations they were having. Like, oh, all the drawers and the women is because he was, um, you know, he thought women were very complicated sort of thing. And just like, oh, but I just want a, a weird landscape with green women with drawers all over them. Like, I just want that <laughs> to be what it is. Um, and I, I had no idea about psychoanalysis and how you know, influential Freud was on various art movements and, and so on. Um, but so like this sort of childlike escapism that had um, outgrown simply high fantasy and, and, and science fiction was now just looking for like really weird stuff um, that I also didn't have to like worry about not being smart enough to understand. Um, and now I'm to the point where I'm, I'm reading you know, people for this show, and I'm like, oh, I actually do need to be a little bit intelligent to, to be able to speak on, on some of these things. Um, I remember um, uh, Googling um, Mike Klein's most recent book, Agbog Blushy, just sort of thinking, I might as well Google it just in case, and it turns out it's a real place and added so much more context to the work he's been doing in the past several years anyway um so yeah there's 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 a weirdness there i think there's also the desire um maybe you said this as a kid a lot but i said i said this a lot growing up especially in middle school where it's like i like reading and i like writing except when i have to do it for school and so now i have this like if i have to do too much work for a text then i I, I tend to shy away from it or or force a, a different sort of reading onto it so that I don't have to do the work. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And um, yeah, there, I mean, there's something about reading a text that just truly immerses you in the fiction. And, and, and I find pleasure in that as well. Um, but the, the kind of text that I end up holding most dearly um or, or maybe dearly alongside these ones that i get just completely lost and immersed in are texts that at some point just kind of crack open for me that either i just spend forever on some sentence that cannot that i cannot grok <laughs> um there's a, a line in tristram shandy which was a text i really struggled with when i initially had to read it for school um, but there was this line about that uses phrase lambent pupil ability. Um, and actually now I'm not sure that I could tell you this. There's something about the way the characters are looking at each other in the scene, but I don't really remember even what that amounted to, but I remember I struggled over that phrase, uh, on the page it was on. And I said, okay, I'm going to crack this or I'm going to give up on this whole book. Um, and you know, I, I, I what, what I think about when I think about that book now, I mean, that phrase I have at the ready. Um, and then I, you know, developed uh, affection for that book. Um, I don't know if I actually would say I hold it most dearly, but I do remember 
trying so hard to just kind of crack that phrase. And, and then that did kind of open up uh, avenues of, of reading for me. Um, and maybe that's sort of what we're saying too um, with the, with the puzzle that, that, you know, you might put together the puzzle pieces wrong, but, but in these books that reward that you end up on this track where you then have a reading, right. That um, is yours. And, and then the, the reading experience is, is collaborative ultimately between in those sorts of books. And I suppose that's what I'm getting at too. Now that I'm thinking about that, when I have that kind of collaborative reading experience, I then feel an intimacy with the author that, that ends up meaning uh, a lot to me. And, you know, uh, one reason I think surrealism, one way surrealism endears itself to me is that it, it makes sense to me in, in what, what we call the real world. Um, that there are experiences that I've had and I, you know, I, I love to hear about people's experiences with the paranormal or just like, even with like such extreme stress that your mind kind of paves over mm -hmm. something, you know, that it just doesn't make sense and you have to kind of leave it at that. Um, and so, you know, that, that for me doesn't end up being puzzling. I, I suppose it's like language puzzles that, that are, that wind up kind of having these collaborative experiences for me. But um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, f I kind of forgot. Oh, I was trying to tuck in um, mm -hmm. everything we were talking about and I, I, I lost track a little bit. That's okay. Welcome to, yeah. welcome to my mind. That's how it always is. It's just <laughs> it's loose threads all the way down. Um, yeah. 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 I, I mean, that's, that's how this book worked too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I wanted the character to have this like, very loosely associative mind um and so uh if we we could at any point become uh get this book spell cast on us and then we won't be able to uh talk in uh any kind of order or sense mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah the, the last half hour is just indecipherable i <laughs> that that would be quite uh remarkable i think um I do want to touch on the snails. I ha I have such a um a strong vision. One of one of the most like revelatory movies I've ever seen, and probably to this day one of my favorites is A Z and Two Knots by Peter Greenaway. Um, and uh, the the general conceit is um, there's there's a, a twin brothers and. Um, Oh dear, I think what it is. They each have a they each have a woman, and one of them and one of them dies in a car accident. I can't remember if the women are also twins. That that feels like it should be the case. That's neither here nor there. They essentially become both obsessed with her and obsessed with uh, decomposition. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene where one of the brothers is in this room and it's kind of like overgrown with house plants and the lighting is all yellow and there's just snails everywhere and he's got snails all over him um and so now snails are, are very associated with that movie with me and so i'm uh wondering uh where they came from uh for you for this book 
and and hoping against hope that <laughs> that there's a connection there. I, I I haven't seen that movie, but um, I it, it I'm gonna watch it straight away. Um, but I mean, for me, the the snails are an animal that is common and and familiar that I've seen however many thousand snails maybe more in my life um and yet they're so strange to me um and I, I realized I didn't actually have a good sense of their anatomy or of uh what was where and I could you know I didn't know if like is it car just cartoons that convinced me that their eyes are in the an antenna um mm -hmm. I, I really I realized that like I, I couldn't I couldn't speak uh, confidently about snails and, and that kind of made it make sense. And something I like is, um, let me put, put it this way, in, in Kafka's Metamorphosis, there's this wonderful scene where fully a cockroach or a monstrous insect, um, uh, Gregor is on the ceiling of, of his room. And there's this moment where he just seems to be enjoying hanging letting his carapace hang from the ceiling and feeling the weight of his carapace hanging and so again you know i'm going to insist that the metamorphosis is not just a metaphor um that this is a book about what to some extent what it's like to be a cockroach as best as we can imagine it without the technology that grants us insight into the cockroach brain um kafka by sort of disavowing the kind of holds of realism and, and, and letting himself imagine to the limits of, of another being's consciousness, I hope got to something that's pleasurable about being a, a monstrous insect with a carapace. Um, and so, you know, that was something that I suppose was a, a challenge that interested me was to, to imagine to the boundary and maybe even just slightly beyond the boundary of a of a non-human consciousness and especially one that seems to have so few correlations uh to me and my body so the the sort of collapsed felix character the idea that he somehow looks like a snail however his body is contorted as he's fallen um you know i i don't i don't know that if you take all the language I used to describe the shape of his body, if you could actually draw it out to where it makes sense and also looks like a snail. But I like to sort of let that just shape the image you have. And then to, yeah, just to take time to try to imagine snailness. Um, and I, I will say too, that um, there are some great snail facts in this book. There are also some snail falsehoods. Um, again, I let sort of, um, the pleasure of language sometimes take precedence over, um, documentary, <laughs> uh, truth. Um, but there, there are little things like, like the scene where this line about, um, just born snails having just been born, eat the grapes that they came from. There was this specific like snail documentary I found on YouTube about that had a scene with this where they're they're born they bust out of the egg and then they turn around and eat the egg as their first meal and, and somehow given the 
the mucus and the expulsions and all the ooze in my book and, and the fair amount of eating as well, it, it felt like, oh, this, this, this uh, National Geographic fact was granted to me so, so I could have this one line referring to it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just something about, something about snails that I, I, I don't suppose I ever really answered your question, but just suffice to say that there's something about snails. There sure is. I think that, <laughs> I, I think that, I think that that's a wonderful, um, answer and, and sort of list of, of thoughts about this. Um, and yeah, I, I I did the the text search for snails, so now I'm just looking at all of, all of the other snails. Um, how, how many hits did we get? We got for snails. We got forty, but three of those were in the blurbs. Okay. Joyelle McSweeney, unsurprisingly, uh, brought up snails twice in her blurb, um, which feels right for me. I, a group of friends and I have um, done done some close study on on. Um, the necropastoral and so i that's very ingrained in my in any sort of like ecological reading i do i i i'm the was that leonardo dicaprio meme pointing at the tv anytime oh, i see something that's TV, necropastoral yeah. <laughs> there it is um great um i'm i'm also very fascinated and i this is somehow accidentally even kind of ties into this um in the about the author it says that um in your your phd study you study fiction illegibility and intersections between digital animal and ecological writing um lots of words in there tickle my brain in the right way so i, I wanted to make sure to ask you about like what you're doing um in that realm uh yeah i mean uh early on just something that stood out to me um and that i was sort of thrilled that no one uh, objected to me focusing on was um, nonsense um, and both kind of senses of, of nonsense um, or maybe more than both senses of nonsense. Um, but I, I worked with uh, Craig Dworkin at uh, University of Utah, uh, Lance Olson as well, but uh, Craig is uh, a, a good source for nonsense. You might ask him uh, a question like, I'm looking for really sort of nonsensical poetry having to do with bark beetles and he'll first say well nothing comes to mind immediately and then he'll say except and then he'll give you a list of about <laughs> 20, 20 books um and so yeah this was something i was seeking for a long time is um you know who who most explosively uh, approaches nonsense as a concept or just as uh, as it appears on the page. Um, and, um, you know, that, that led me to people approaching what I called sort of non-human consciousness, but that can be animals that can be sort of like, if you think of like, uh, Jane Bennett's vibrant matter, it can be, uh, buildings or, or populations of, of people even have, a, according to her, have a consciousness that's different from, uh or like not different but not incommensurate with our own ways of, of thinking and i found this this wonderful documentary on slime mold that sort of just mm -hmm. made perfect 
sense for the kind of nonsense I was looking for. And so that's where the sort of animals, I guess, animal studies is what, what some people call it kind of came in. And, you know, th- that was texts approaching animals, texts trying to work through the consciousness of animals, just with, for me, with some resistance to, and again, this feels like similar to the resistance of the just a metaphor idea, uh, just resistance to anthropomorphization, which felt like the easy or the instinctual way to do it. So how can, how can you begin to kind of get at, um, this other consciousness or this, this thing that, that can't quite make sense to us, uh, without essentially surrendering to, well, you can't. So I'll just, you know, make them more or less human, or I'll make it just a metaphor. Um, and, and the, the digital aspect is, is kind of coming from the same place in a way. Um, uh, Joanna, Joanna, shoot. Johanna, Johanna Drucker, um, who's a, a book artist and a poet uh, and a, a digital humanities scholar, um, draws a pretty straight line through, like a, a, she draws a lineage, I'll say, draws a lineage from the surrealist to like a lot of contemporary digital experimental projects. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of where that came in for me, that there was a lot of people doing um, interesting experiments um with digital tools that often result in nonsense even just something as similar simple as a like text randomizer letting it spit out your results and then saying you know where's the poem in here or not um to me is you know where that comes in um mike klein has has a has some great projects and just ideas in that regard uh mike correo as well um and so th- those those things felt very uh, closely connected to me, which is why that very academic language kind of stays in my bio, because I'm just like constantly thinking about about those things. And similar to you, uh, you know, I Leonardo DiCaprio point mm-hmm. at the screen um, when I see a movie and there's like a scene that sort of seems to be more deeply settled in um, an animal's consciousness or responsiveness or instinctiveness like where the you know oh the camera has said we're going to just watch this bird for a minute and try to try to see what it sees or something um you know i just just find that that kind of desire um to be very uh very it, it, it makes sense to me to sort of want to know what um to not to know but to to just to wonder about or to have questions about what kind of pleasures the snails in my front yard after it rains um are seeking yeah i think that that is in the same neighborhood as a lot of thoughts i have um when my brain goes down certain paths about consciousness and metaphysics and things like that i think that's kind of in the same realm um so i understand the desire um i think i think and and, 
Sorry. Go ahead, please. Uh, oh, I, I, I just had another thought about sort of like where that lands. So, you know, just just to say that it doesn't have to be a text that that wonders, that tries to get into the snail consciousness, but, you know, you can also sort of accept the distance and the alterity of, of, of the animal or of whatever the non-human object, um, you know, and I think sometimes what that looks like is like, um, I have a friend who did this project where she tied string to markers and, and hung them from a tree so that the wind, the breeze blowing through the tree traced, um, you know, a pattern on a piece of paper. And that isn't to say that the tree wrote it, but kind of, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's not legible as, it's not legible as art, but just because it's illegible doesn't mean you can't, uh, you know, try to read it to some extent. So you could follow a snail uh, making its little path through your front yard and try to discern what it says. And in fact, you should be quite concerned probably if it speaks to you absolutely <laughs> clearly. <laughs> yeah, that's too much responsibility, I think, for a normal person. You don't want that. That is fascinating because somebody else brought up that same example to me recently and i cannot for the life of me remember if it was in a in a discord i'm in or if it was on the show um and my brain is telling me that it's that both are equally possible um that really has no bearing here or there but that's that's interesting to me that that um that artist has, has popped up uh a couple times very recently for me hmm. um I'm also interested in, and this is, I think, more selfishly, anytime academia comes up on this show, this is just basically me fishing for someone to to say the thing that pushes me one way or the other. I've, <laughs> I've, been, I've been hopelessly on the fence for years about doing more school. I, I talked to lots of writers who are kind of opposed to it, uh, even if they've done it themselves. I've got people who in my life who have like actively pushed me um to to try to attend certain programs i've uh i've had people tell me to apply just so i can get accepted and then not go just to like because they think i need the confidence boost um and and sort of all over the place and i recently just the other day the, my wife and i we went and we saw oppenheimer and the first section of that when he's at the beginning of his academic career, anytime anything like that happens in a movie, it's dangerous for me because it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I could do that too. It's like watching a boxing movie or a Kung Fu movie. And I'm like, you know what? I should find a martial arts instructor yeah, and then within driving distance. You don't realize you've made the wrong decision until you're in the ring and yeah. someone's coming at you. The moment before the fist connects with my eye socket is, is, <laughs> Is, is when I realized. So I'm I'm just sort of interested in because you know you're you're online in in the same sort of circles that I'm in. Um, you know, your choice to pursue graduate studies and and your your feelings about them. I guess, um, yeah, just sort of where you're at. I, I know you're like in the midst, yeah. so there's. That's yeah, a perspective yeah, you, I haven't had yet. Um, yeah, so 
you know, I, I understand resistances. I understand people who've gone partway and quit or who, who finished and said, you know, never again. And I, I won't recommend it to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I mean, especially the MFA, for example, like for me, it was, um, it came at just the right time for me to, to go to a sort of smaller, I, I went, I went to Notre Dame and this is where I know Paul Cunningham from and, and, uh, my co-editor at Karen Bloom, um, Rachel Zavix. Uh, for me, I had some ideas about writing, but I needed time, I needed space, and, and I needed collaboration to kind of spark um, to spark my writing. I mean, I, I was obviously obviously writing. I had the application materials, but I, I think it was a big sort of. Um, a big boost to my writing to have um, interactions, to have uh, to have critiques, but to just to just be working together, to be discussing writing, um, and for having that be the focus for me for for two years. Um, I, I'm I'm a very uh, collaborative writer. A lot of a lot of material gets generated for me, sort of starting in a collaborative space. Not always with a living writer or you know translation obviously is more it's easier to see where collaboration comes in there um and i didn't really know that until i had this kind of time and space and you know the degree of dedication that going um sort of puts before you so i, I know it was right for me especially at the time um and i ended up in a in a program and, and in a cohort and, and with people uh, that helped foster, I think, largely just generation and, and sort of positive interactions um, for the most part. And I can see ca cases depending on, you know, a, a, a different writer, a writer who needs isolation or who needs not to be told, um, you know, not to have their energies redirected. Um, you know, that, that it wouldn't work for them. I, I think it's just about, you know, for, for me and, and, you know, then continuing into the PhD for me, it was just, um, to, I like having those conversations, you know, I, I teach and I like having those kinds of conversations and the, and interactions about books with, um, undergraduates. Uh, obviously it's a, it's a different dynamic there, but to some extent, I'm, I try to be fairly transparent about that, that, it's a space where you kind of put um, you you've come into the space. It, there's a, it's like, like you saying, sorry, I, I'm going to get to the sentence any second now. Um, it's like you saying when you read the first, the cover of the novel and it says it's a novel, you said, okay, I'm going to go in. I'll, I'll give you that much. And, you know, let's see where that goes. You know, that's like, coming into the door of the classroom means these students have agreed that this is a space where we're going to talk about books or talk about their writing. Um, and I think oftentimes that kind of, that if it's done just right, obviously classrooms can uh, not always be positive experiences, but if you kind of cultivate the right kind of community in, in any of these spaces, um, it can be a generative uh, experience. But I'm I'm sure one thing that other people have told you too is that obviously you're having conversations about writing, 
Um, right. So that that might that might be the thing that keeps you on the fence is that you're 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 cruising along, right on top of the fence, which is a an act of uh, acrobatic uh, finesse. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone wants to give me an honorary MFA. I would that would solve an awful lot of problems for me. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> don't know how we make that happen, but uh, hit me up. Um, I like that answer. Um, it also seems Paul was was posting about the MFA program at Notre Dame not too long ago, and I checked it out, and it looked pretty cool. Um, uh, for what that's worth, it it did it did look like an interesting program. I can't do anything but a low residency program really with kind of how my life is at right now um having waited until i have a, a wife and a kid and a house and whatever but um i'd encourage other people to try that out because that looks really cool um so let's let's move then into uh your your publishing work with carrie and bloom books um the I've, I'm, I want to say lately I've been having lots of thoughts about publishing, but I guess I'm kind of always thinking about it. It's just how, uh, where, where those thoughts are. Um, and I, I recently joked, there was a, a fairly viral tweet about some person who got published traditionally who was encouraged to make lots and lots of TikToks and it barely paid off, um, and so I was questioning what traditional publishing is even for if they're not even going to market your book. If I have to spend 60 hours a week TikToking like a 13-year-old to get my book sold, I got to do that now. I plug my book at the beginning of every <laughs> podcast episode and it still has eight reviews on Goodreads. Um, but it seems like Carrie and Bloom books is a very sort of different thing. Uh, you do handbound, small edition books. Um, and... They look really beautiful, and you've kind of been on my radar for that f for a while. But I'm I'm interesting interested at, at the sort of um, uh, how that got started and uh, and why this kind of format for publishing. Yeah, so you know, it emerged on a. Drive. Um, my partner and I, uh, and co-editor Rachel Zavix, um, we had had both worked for a couple journals where we were editors, and we, you know, in a very real sense, had the say, um, but felt like we didn't feel like it was our thing, and that that's that some of the work we were publishing, we were consciously or subconsciously or unconsciously taking into account um, the entity that we were working under or the other editors or something. And so this was, you know, wanting to kind of be the sort of shaping um, force and also knowing um, that knowing without even trying to think that hard of a number of texts by friends or friends of friends or just poets that we are aware of that either had had a long 
difficult journey to get published or were unpublished because they couldn't find a home. And these were writers that were like, we know they're amazing. We know this, this book and, and like, we could, we could just put it out. And and so that was, you know, that was kind of the, the push is just knowing that the work was there. And that has something that is still so apparently true. Um, the two times that we've done open submissions and um, most of the work we've published has been from, uh, so far has been from just our first call. And, you know, in, in our first call, we said yes to six things, which was a, a lot for the way we do it. Um, but there were so many more. And, and in the call, we're still, uh, we're almost uh, done reading for now. There's just, there's so much amazing work. And so many books that we published from that first call, um, where the author said, yeah, this, you know, I didn't know that this would ever get published i've been sending this around forever and these are books that like we you know when we reach out to them we're like oh we love this book we're desperate for it we know you probably have a bunch of uh you know people banging on your door to to publish this experimental play in verse (laughs) (laughs) um chapbook and um but we want it and they're just like no it's just you but um you can have it and so, you know, part of, part of it is just, you know, we want to create, um, to work with the authors and, and put help these books that we find like truly mesmerizing or shocking or um, just pleasurable to find, help them find their sort of ideal form. Um, and uh, the University of Utah, this is one fortunate thing about us having gone there that we didn't really know beforehand is, um, it has an incredible book arts program. Um, my partner has gone, gotten a full certificate in addition to uh, what she's doing uh, academically uh, in, in book arts. So she is a real uh, talent. She's honest, honestly a visionary talent as a book artist. And it was something she only discovered in the last uh, six years that um, she just can kind of imagine the shape a book could take and you know she's studied all these forms and obviously that helps but i I think she has a a real knack for it and so you know that that became the other part of it that we we want to uh form these books ourselves and so the the small edition thing is is just a, a side effect of that that we can only only do so many um and i mean it's resulted in this editorial experience of you know we touch every page um we have a close like sort of physical and editorial proximity to these texts so the the process does for me end up feeling you know quite collaborative um on um each of these books we've done um you know we really feel that we are kind of creating a community of uh really quite some quite strange uh, books um and it is encouraging to look and see some of the other presses kind of cultivating similarly uh i like i love the word unshapely uh in contrast to this this book that i read praising like shapely writing so I, i like to look out and see the inside the castles the ugly ducklings, the apocalypse party, eleven eleven sublunaries that are sort of have these like um, stable of uh, writers creating unshapely uh, oeuvres, um, 
translations, plays in verse, um, all sorts of things. And, you know, we're just, we're glad that we can provide uh, an avenue for some of these books to come into the real world and get readers and be in conversation with our other books. Um, that That's really been the total uh, joy of, of this process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, while you were talking, I was looking through um, the photos of the books and the binding on some of them is just so pretty. Um, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a very sort of, sort of um, uh, uh, lower, uh, yeah, uh, a silly response to, to everything you said, but um, no, no, not particularly. Not at all. Yeah, I mean, like, um, <laughs> like wow. Uh, I I, yeah, I very I'm, much appreciate the you know that I I think there's there's something to the to the handmade aspect that I think you expressed really well and um there's there's a part of me who's always I think what it is is that I'm I'm I tend to um I tend to to shy away from um from scarcity when it comes to to books. I get nervous about it. Um, and uh, like it even it says like right on your uh, on the website that if you want something that's sold out, just email us. Um, so like you know, it's not like I'm worried about the work itself disappearing. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, there's, there's a dissonance there with me where I just like, I want everybody to be able to like hold the book object in their hand. I'm such a, yeah, such a, a physical media guy, but at the same time, like, uh, there's something really special about receiving a handmade, uh, little book from somebody. Um, especially like, you know, in this ecosystem where, you know, you might only need to make 50 copies of a book ever anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, part, part of it's a little like foolish on my part thinking every single book is right about to blow up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have the same thing do where, uh, yeah, yeah. Where I, I'm just like, Oh, I'm so excited about this thing. Surely <laughs> I'm, you know, only one of an anonymous horde trying to get this uh chat book and I'll, I'll sort of do it uh seek these things out in like a total like panic thinking that it's running low and then you know then you can see however many weeks later that it's, it's still available or something like that but i mean that that is another part um especially on on rachel's uh side she's written really eloquently about the the powers of, of the book object. Um, uh, and, and I think for her, there's this, this sort of artist book world where sometimes they're like extremely limited editions, like 10 copies or something like that. And they're, you know, the prices are much higher than you would think to pay for a chapbook of poetry. 
so we, we liked the artist book as this this object that gets all this time dedicated to it and care in each stitch um and that each stitch is you know has something to say about the book it's not just um you know a, a set dressing for then the you know the real text is inside you know we we think about how these books are going to be shaped and um, what form best suits them, especially for a couple projects we have coming up. Uh, but we, we also want to make that, you know, maybe more uh, accessible or, you know, to get a wider readership. We try to keep it a little bit cheaper. And then, yeah, they can get, people can get these digital versions free that, you know, I, I don't think... Um, you know, like you said, there's something to holding the physical object, but you know, we we want them, we want these things to be available. Um, we want them to be read, uh, and but we also, you know, we just enjoy. We're obsessed by paper, <laughs> um, so we want to enjoy the feeling of the paper. We we like we like sewing, um, and so you know there. We we have a, we have affection for the physical objects. We want them to be as widely available as possible, as well. So those are kind of like maybe opposing drives that we try to kind of find the the most e even the nearly impossible solution to um, accessibility and and then this like level of um, working out the shape the book wants to take um and I, and I think so far it's 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 worked out and i i think that like the authors we've worked with have, have appreciated that um degree of dedication even if sometimes um even sometimes 50 copies can feel like a lot if it's a particularly challenging book um but we almost always want to do more <laughs> Sorcerer. Uh, I'm going to read a few uh, selections. Uh, one thing about this book is it has it's sort of obsessively titled, um, and the titles sort of have a running uh, narrative that is sometimes counter, sometimes overlapping, sometimes uh, signal versus noise uh, against or with or beside the text. Um, so I usually try to do something about tuning uh, with those when I perform. So um, you'll hear that and hear the titles as I go. Uh, so you'll get a maybe a sense of the narrative here or just a sense of the nonsense. Conundrum, 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 all dried up or drying up and crying, only the sound of tears not falling. What luck, what lousy wrong luck. In this heat, they said, don't start with the weather. That's all there is for some folks like him. When Felix understands something, he doesn't believe it, a practice. I submit to the cannibals I'm becoming. I submit to the cannibals I'm becoming. I submit to the cannibals I'm becoming. The cannibals I'm becoming. A near certainty Felix fell, fallen still. 
against the current situation, in which he could only guess that somehow he had lost his elasticity and collapsed after one violent expectoration. Poor me, thought Felix, now scrunched up, ass up, with little motor control, drooling dirty, bloody face down on the cracked pavement in the sun, thinking about snails. How snails looked, how snails had looked, when he had had them inching all over his chest, a desperate and failed cure for what ails him, a failed cure, since, really, they had been eating him alive, hadn't they? Fantasies in which I'm trod upon, fantasies in which I'm trod upon, trod upon the expectoratus being not far above where his nose smished into the path which led to the Menlo sanatorium. He could see it, that which he had expectorated in black and blood and the horrible heaving which coaxed it up from within him and had robbed him of his stuffing strength and fibers and drawn him into this collapsed pile so down, so low. Oh, now he was mixed up, turned around. Must have been since the expectorated slime was inching uphill toward him. Then no, facing this path this way away. So that way must lead to the grove of pathetic thin trees with leaves that could dull a bitter metallic mouth if chewed. See, this was downhill after all. Vex, hex, rex, vex, hex, rex, vex, hex, rex. As is often with runaway thoughts, the tracks led to a sweet-minded friend. Between dear Oswalda and Felix, other than an affable affection and suffering's unanimity and the accidentally neighborly exchange of one's cloudy molecules, there was the codes, guttered or encircled or ciphered letters in the books which they loved in the Menlo Respiratory Sanatorium's library. The conditions of the shelves and their contents left something to be desired, but what put those statics off allowed the zeroed pair wider quietude in their turns. Disquiet us, disquietus, disquietus, the secret exchange had accumulated in palimpsestual volumes unnoticed in the sanatorium library. Well-inked say-so over and through the other words the text communicated or sub-equivalence noise for message. Crossed and tabbed, teaked shelves, and prying from them the familiar volumes nobody else might have interest for, a gesture made outmoded by the illegibility of the marks that had been bound to the crooked spines of this or the other, opusculum on duck husbandry, polite death, and poetry, since who had the time, or the green growing eats the edges of the pages, while dark slime from the every letter's core... Oh, Felix, a self sobs, why wrestle with the encipherentous toil except and only to perform the precise toil they expect again and until you've nothing to hide, nowhere to hide it, and nothing to hide and nowhere to hide it. What a picture, thinks again Felix, so curled up now, bald and bawling and falling and failing to crawl, bleeding or blood in mouth, just seeping out corners, recently expelled burgundy black slime, spattered, spittled, so that string of saliva connecting the slime still gooing from lips. Knees buckled under, face to cracked pavement of the path across and around the Menlo grounds. Alchemia two, alchemia two, two. The snails, those tracers that had taken the time plotting out their own graveyard on Felix's chest, a cure, a guess, an unnamed prayer, a slow mutilation. The living division of the alchemic grocery list, the beast slow and slovenly feeding on him, sticky pads almost invisible except 
to the readers, the mages, the white coat sages quacking around his strapped down gurney bed, eaten alive and neither the last nor the least of it. The big question then being one of cannibalization, answered an infinite loop of sputtering and gross slime. Become snail, you eats what you are. Transformation isn't very becoming, Felix thought, then farted. I said static is noise, and I said static is movement, and I said static is stillness. I said static is noise, and eat, say, eat, say. There are many of many regrettable sentences to return to the source. Eat, say, everything regurgitated is gold. Don't be what's gnawing inside out. Don't be shell-chunked nothing or nothing or nothing at all. If they ever find my dirty picture, which I took of Owen Wister, the West will be unone. His vomit dreams then, or perhaps in an amalgamation of its many selved and selled visions of every meal that has activated their hum, gotten a rise out of their so to speaks, and then every meal they've become in the process. Oh gods, everything is alive, Felix thinks in sharing this vision with those he has expelled. Can a snail dream itself a moth or must those images unveil more slowly than that? Equivalence, I, 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 equivalence, I, I, I. Messages of constant noise, messages, meanings of constant message, systems of constant meanings, constant noise, unending systems, any one from which the code can be derived. The order of the jar and splendors accepts, rejects, and therein performs. Dreamt as mountain one through five. Dreamt as mountain I through V. Dreamt as mountain I, 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 I. The degree to which isolation and seclusion aren't synonyms. The songbirds of pre-dawn aren't politically suspect, but as some person starts a gramophone to sing, Felix rushes his eyes to form and drags uphill. The record loses steam before. And soon in silence, the same light burns and exposes invisible streams from clinging packets of snow, pathetic thin ice, barely covering the absent puddle already slipped from, cadaverous the piles that hope to be flowers reveling in cold mud, elevation which returns to him something that, the crackling paper of that thin ice, the foot and the crackle they make among the trees ghastly sentinels, so Felix too from here down on the sanatorium as a dollhouse, the others even more diminutive, that wine in the air again breathes Felix. Clean, cold, pure, toxic, cursed, stinging, insufficiently respiratory, just what I. A deep breath of evil, tomorrow crisp, healthy, restorative, lift a piano above my head, mighty toss the record player into the canyon, clattering pathetic horn of a downed and false herald. Don't shoot the is maybe only after, so don't shoot the messenger later. Rotting clarion dissected in inequity by this mountain scavenger democratic chaos cult, detritivores learning the tune, inheriting the wonders of the moldering folds and reeds, discords, unflattering, untraceable dissolution. We should all be so, even eat so lucky. Other spring, other mountain, the building coiling long hallways tight, 
unlike the statics tell her the circle in the dew cold grass and the clapping and song, but Oz won't believe in the discovery of kindness. She won't believe in the discovery of kindness. Also, Oz recalls how easy for some to find kindness out here, involved, out under the hidden, deeply ecstatic she knows to be cruel laughs and claps and shares a spectacular gesture, and how easy to lose one's eyes in that swirl of limbs and free command to some childhood melody. Oz from a grassy edge lifts gossamer ice so careful, or it softly shatters or with fortune wetly drapes a virgin shroud over her hand, melts as a death mask, and she lies down out and under. The mist too, and everything is gauze, yes, to be disembarrassed of life. Citing the fiduciary, but what they can abide is joyful disembarkment, let me die, Oz screams as. Like a hospital, the hospital slides discreetly from the hills and toward the sea. All gross abatements begin at the Haruspexus. 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 And lastly encoded, a short build one or two, new, axanthismic eclipsing plumage, CF colon, a feather enclosed at considerable risk.